Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! Okay, um, my name is Hannah. I am German. If you notice an accent, you heard correctly. We will also not be able to get rid of this accent. It will stick with us for the next 20 minutes. So give me some grace. Um, I'm part of Cascade. I love Cascade. I've been attending for two years. And I must say, as I was preparing the sermon, I was like, you know, I feel like for me, Cascade gets more and more beautiful. So I don't know if you agree. And as I'm getting to know more people, I actually really, really like it here. So just that as a little like side note. Okay, I'm part of a Christian organization called Loom International, and Loom's focus is coming alongside uh, local leaders in communities in Africa and Asia that are doing an amazing work that serve vulnerable children. Um, usually they are building schools, they initiate clinics, they're, trying any, they, they're working on a lot of different things to serve their communities for the sake that children have a safe place to grow up. And through my work with Loom, I learned about this movement called Orphan Sunday. Orphan Sunday is a Sunday in November. This year it's November 11th, today, when, they, when there is a whole movement of worldwide churches looking at the topic of orphans and really wanting to highlight this. So I checked in with Kurt, Pastor Kurt and Pastor Sarah, and was like, hey, could we also join in that global movement? And they were like, yeah, sure, let's do this. So I think I brought you a world map with um, showing the over 2,000 churches that are part of it today. Um, It's exciting. And because of our time difference with the rest of the world, we are, how you may know, very much behind the rest, most of the rest of the world. We actually can look back and say, like, all these countries and places and churches have already celebrated and thought of vulnerable children today. So we're joining into this movement. Um, One more thought on like the word Orphan Sunday. I don't really like it. I don't think anyone should be ever labeled an orphan. So as I'm referring to this Sunday, um, I'm going with the other word that Sunday also has. It's called Stand Sunday. Because how we will see in scripture, it is a big piece of the Bible to say like, let's stand with the most vulnerable, with the vulnerable children. So... Um, I'm also aware on that topic, I think um, that it is maybe that for you guys it may have some personal implications when I say words like orphan, child in foster care, adoption. I myself come from a family, like my sister actually joined my family when I was a baby through the foster um, care system. And I know what kind of levels of personal, emotional pieces that can have. So whatever your story and whatever your journey, I hope that, I want to first say I'm aware of this. I want to say that around these words, there is a lot of things that it may make us feel. And I, my hope for this morning is that it will add to your own journey and to your healing process. And I'm grateful for you to be here, whatever your story might be. And I think that you can add so much to this community. So, yeah, that was just important for me to point out. 
Okay, before we jump into the Bible, let's get an understanding of the state of vulnerable children in this world. And I thought to start off this aspect, because first look at what is a normal childhood look like? What is the definition of a normal childhood? And the United Nations actually describe it this way. The children of the world are innocent, vulnerable, and dependent. They are also curious, active, and full of hope. Their time should be one of joy and peace, of playing, learning, and growing. Their future should be shaped in harmony and cooperation. Their lives should mature as they broaden their perspectives and gain new experiences. Okay, this is how the United Nations so beautifully like summarize a normal childhood. And I think we see it in all of our children. Like I just stood up front, like next to Sarah, who was checking in children for a kids ministry. And I think we see it in them, the beauty of what childhood looks like um, and uh, the joy that it brings. And there is something so unique about being a child that I think we lose, obviously, when we get older, but that we actually love and that only children can bring. But tragically, we know that um, for way too many children, um, this kind of childhood is not a norm. So here are some statistics to just get us, get it in a perspective. Worldwide, it is estimated that there are 153 million children that are orphans. Um, there are 65.6 million refugees, or were, in 2016, and half of them were children. There are over 250 million children living in countries affected by conflict. One in four of the world's children live in conflict or disaster zones. And when it comes to poverty, we can actually assume that almost half of all people living in extreme poverty are children. And I could go on with like how many hundreds of million children have no access to school or education and the hundreds of millions of children that are malnourished. So worldwide, it's not a pretty picture. The United States, um, in 2014, 21% of children in the United States were living in poverty. And also in 2014, the numbers were that 415,129 children accounted for having been in foster care. And on the topic of foster care, when we look at Oregon, um, it's actually the newest numbers that I found, I think they're from 2015, are 2015, 1,504 children were in foster care in the Multnomah County. In Washington County, it were 479 and in Clackamas County, 309. So, obviously, it's not something that I'm telling you that's new, and it's also not something that I can, you know, put a bow on it and say like, but there are also great news. I think to, as we're looking into the Bible and focusing on the topic of vulnerable children, we need to look at the fact that the situation for many, many, many hundreds of millions of children in this world is very dire. And what makes them so vulnerable, especially orphans and children um, that lack a parental unit, is for obvious reasons they are, they are not safe physically, they, they lack their protection in a parent, 
Um, they are held back financially, like they lack the provision that finances would bring through the parents to develop like in a way that, or prosper in a way that's normal and safe. And we, we actually keep coming back to the words, I mean, we as the organization say like, children are so vulnerable because they're the smallest, they're the poorest, and they're the least powerful anywhere in society. So what does the Bible have to say about children? I think we often assume the Bible doesn't actually explicitly speak too much about children. At least we could assume that when we look at how much we focus on children in our um, sermons, in our churches, in our, yeah, whatever our Christian literature or Christian center is. Um, the issue of children seems very hidden in the background of the biblical themes. But actually it's not. Actually, the Bible mentions children more than 500 times, and additionally to that, over 50 times, the Bible speaks about fa the fatherless, the orphans. And so, I guess the question to us as a church is more like, is it more that we don't really want to see the topic of children? Um, or is it also, I mean, a lot of these scriptures are actually in the Old Testament. Maybe a question to us is also like, are we actually reading the Old Testament as much as we read the New Testament. And, I mean, again, what are our priorities in the church, and if, are they said correctly? Obviously, with 500 scriptures speaking about um, the vulnerable child, or the child, um, I could take this a lot of different ways. I ended up um, deciding on three biblical aspects that we're going to zoom in this morning. And um, then we'll look at some applications of what that looks like for us in our lives and in our community. So let's start with the law. When the Bible refers to the law, or the law of Moses, it actually speaks, or it's, it means the five, the first five books of the Bible. Um, and the law seems to regulate our personal relationship with God, or with God, between God and his people. Um, but actually, when you keep reading the first five books in the Bible, you will notice over and over how God keeps bringing up a topic of social responsibilities, social issues. And so, let's look at some of the scriptures. Actually, in Deuteronomy, um, it points out a lot of social responsibilities in every area of our life. So, in Deuteronomy 24, it's the topic of... Um, when you harvest, so when you make your annual income as a farmer and you really, you know, you gather all you have for that year, it says in verse 19, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheep, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So again, it's harvest season. The owner of the field, of the vineyard, is gathering like everything he or she has worked for this year. And God is saying, 
as you harvest, leave the leftovers for the ones on the, the marginalized, the ones that don't have anything else. And then it continues, um, speaking similarly, like when you celebrate life after harvesting, so when there is a big Thanksgiving feast and when you actually come together to just celebrate life, it says in Deuteronomy 16, verse 13 and 14, celebrate the festival of tabernacle for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. So it's, it's God pointing out saying like, go ahead, celebrate life, celebrate what I have provided for you. But in that celebration, make sure to include everyone that is part of your town, even the ones that might not directly be part of your family or have really, um, that are on the margin, that are the ones that don't have anyone else. And God is pretty serious. I mean, in the law, God, like, I mean, there's many, many more scriptures that speak similarly, but like God really brings it down in his very direct way. When he speaks in Exodus 22, he actually talks about, you know, considering the fatherless, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. <laughs> I don't know how to say that nicely, but I think, I mean, God is pretty clear. And obviously, since then, you know, theologically, Jesus came, and there's a lot more grace, and da 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 But God puts a very clear statement here saying, like, I'm not just saying this because it's nice. It's saying this because it's serious to me. If you, or if we ask ourselves how God truly feels about the orphan and the widow and the ones on the margin, the ones pushed to the side, we can hear him over and over say in the law of Moses, take care, provide, watch out, share the wealth you have. Make, don't just ignore them. See them and be with them. Okay, moving on to the Psalms. Um, the Psalms to me are something like a part of scripture that I love coming back to. I feel like it's, I love the poetic language. I love how much it is often gives me words for a lot of what I feel. Um, but again, scripture is not just for me and how I feel. Um, and I think in Psalms we find that children are central among those who are described as the weak, the poor, and the oppressed. And so, if we, here's a few psalms that I want to point out. Psalm 10, verse 17. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. You hear, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You listen to their cry. You defend the fatherless. Psalm 10 is actually a great one to um, meditate on, or if you want to, you know, next week at some point keep thinking about this. It's a great verse to meditate on because we hear the psalm, psalmist, the person speaking this psalm, praying this psalm, like wrestle with the thought, like why is there so much evil in the word? And God, where are you? I see people dying. I see children 
neglected. I see so much that is so wrong in this world. Where are you? And as we keep reading, we will see this psalmist come then in verse 17 to this place where we're like, oh, it's actually not you that is turned away from the evil. You hear it. You encourage and you listen and you defend the fatherless. And the psalmist then more turns to himself and say, like, where am I in this? Where am I actually hearing, defending, seeing the ones on the margins? Psalm 68, it says, God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. And actually, two lines later in the psalm psalm, it says, God sets the lonely into families. Isn't that a beautiful picture? God sets the lonely in families. Psalm 82, 1 to 4. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. I don't know how much more needs to be said. Um, God advocates over and over in the Psalms to his people, to us, to really, he advocates on behalf of the most vulnerable. And in Psalms 146, just to finish that up, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Okay, then as number three, let's look at the prophets. The prophets are actually 15 books in the Bible that are um, describing the lives and the messages of prophets. So men and in other places also women who have prophecies for the um, people of Israel. Um, and it's interesting that, for example, Isaiah, when he speaks of a new heaven and a new earth, he speaks of a day-to-day -day life situation, a living condition where there is justice, prosperity, and blessedness. That's like for him, these three things go with this new heaven that he's describing. And in this um, prophecy of a new heaven and a new earth, he includes children in his vision. And he, so he says in Isaiah 65, never again will there be an infant that lives but a few days. So, the pain of children will be no longer in this new heaven, new earth. And the prophet uh, Zechariah speaks of the new Jerusalem as a city that, is, that its streets are full of children playing. In Zechariah 8, verse 6, it says, The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. And that's amazing to me, because according to um, child development specialists, we nowadays know how key it is for children to play. We know that playing is like the best way for them to develop their fine and their um, gross mother skills. It is the way they learn like their emotional behavior and their social behavior. So playing is so central. Um, and it is such a value to God to have that in this like, as he describes a good, good future or this new heaven, this new earth that will be coming. And sadly, playing is also such a... We know nowadays playing is such a privilege for children. 
I mean, all your children, I'm sure, and the children right now downstairs, they have this beautiful way of playing. I'm assuming that the kids' ministry here, most of what they do is play and just enjoy in this safe, loved environment. But we also know that for many, many million of children, especially in the big cities, playing is not a part of their childhood. They need to, um, early on, earn their income. They need to, you know, they live on the streets. There's just no way to play. And I think, so for me, it's such a point of like, where we can children to get into a place where they can play, that's a, already a healthy child right there, a child that actually is able to prosper and to, to be in the way God has imagined it for this child. And I think what we will see over and over is that the worst, the, the worst victims of corrupt systems are children. When the economic system of a country collapses, the most vulnerable group in the society are children. In a political conflict, which leads then often to physical conflicts and to war or violence, it is the children who pay the highest costs in form of trauma, poor health, wasted childhoods. And in this light, we need to see what the prophets are saying and what their ministry is. The prophets understand this truth really well, that if the parents and if society walk astray from God's intentions for the child or for them, actually, if the parents and society walks astray from God's intention for them, it is the children that will suffer, suffer the greatest. And I think that leads me to what I um, would consider like the spiritual warfare around children. When I look at scripture, I see that children are central, very central in God's redemption plan. The destiny of mankind rests in the hands of children. And we see that true spiritually, like it is, um, the Bible testifies the value of children as the hope of the future, and it is expressed in Psalm 127 so well, where it says that children are the heritage from the Lord, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. But like anything spiritually, we see it in the natural, and in the day-to-day -day, um, life. The children are the future of a community, of a society, of a nation. And what a community and a society looks like depends on how the children are raised and treated by the former generation. So basically you could say a quality childhood will lead to a quality adulthood, which in return will result in responsible parenting. Those children that grew up well will end up being good parents or good siblings even to provide then what's necessary to a quality childhood of the next generation. And I think it is so central that children are, that children are the key point when it comes to showing the progress of a nation, showing the progress of a community, showing that if we attack the most vulnerable, the children, we destroy the prosperity and the, the healthy communities for generations to come. 
Another aspect of this spiritual warfare piece that I see, and just the spiritual, um, yeah, what I would call really a war in it, is that our human desires for power and profit and pleasure are not just private sins with only personal consequences. And I think often as the church or as humans in this world, we, we, we make that not, we don't really consider it seriously enough. Again, war and conflict for power always has their consequences on the children. We heard it earlier, one in four children, one in four of the world's children live in conflict or disaster zones. And the greed to maximize your profits blinds so many people in power to the points that they are willing to sacrifice their children. Worldwide, it is estimated that there are 168 million children that are child laborers, that are working daily, which makes actually 10% of all the children being in a labor bond, being child laborers. Or then, I mean, behind the whole, you know, seeking selfish pleasures, let it be, um, yeah, child prostitution, pornography, pedophilia, trafficking cases, it's all that there's someone seeking personal pleasure on the cost of a precious child. And then corruption and poverty causes so many children to live in inhuman conditions with, like, costs for high mortality, poor health, physical growth, or low education. <laughs> and there's a reason why another word, which is way less sexy than the word vulnerable children, is actually like, you could also say about a vulnerable child, it is a child who adults have failed. So, looking at all this, and I'm not telling you mostly something new. I think we know that the state of a lot of children in this world is very harsh and very dire. But how did God actually intend for a child to grow up? And what can we do? A scripture that I personally can keep coming back to is Isaiah 1.17, where it says, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. What I like about this scripture is how it says there is room to learn. There is room to seek justice. There is room to be on your way, to keep trying to come alongside those children and to really learn the best way to help them. I want to talk you through an illustration that we in our organization use a lot when we teach on this topic internationally. And I'm going to, you know, go through it pretty quickly and we'll leave out some parts, but I think it is such a good picture of what it could look like to care for the child. So this illustration is called Circles of Protection, and basically it is what are the circles in a child, like around a child in its community. Um, we have, I mean, I have already stated that the child is the poorest, the most, the weakest, the most needy in a society. It's the most vulnerable. And basically it's in all areas of life, it is inferior to an adult. 
it is completely dependent on the grown-ups. So, and like anything, you know, very precious, very vulnerable, what about if we would put it in the center of our attention? What if we would put it as in our center and then we would gather around this very precious child? So here we have a child, little cute childy. And so what's God's intention for this child? It is this child would have food, shelter, education, security, creativity, boundaries, unconditional love, identity, belonging, playtime, all the good stuff that every child deserves. So as we're going through, I will ask you regularly some questions, and I will get, give you some things to just ponder about if they're applicable to you. So when it comes to a child, my question to you is, who are, who are the best interest of this child in mind? Who are his God-given closest human connections? Which I think the answer to that question is pretty obvious. It is his family. God intended for children to have a mother and a father that loved them unconditionally. A new child to be loved and nurtured and protected by parental love. The love of parents and a child together make a family. In a family, a child um, can observe and know its strengths and weaknesses. It will be loved no matter what it does, if it succeeds or fails. In a, in a family, a child is loved and secure. How resilient a child is growing up depends on its loving adult relationships. In a family, God intended for a child to learn how to communicate, how to share, how to be angry, how to forgive, how to give and receive, and to learn how to think about God. So my question around that is, if you're a parent, are you aware of the amazing difference your unconditional love makes in the life of your child? Another question is, have you ever thought about becoming a parent to a child who is without a family? If we go into the next circle, that is, there's first a child, and the closest human connections are his parents and his family, and then there is the extended family. God put the child in an extended family of grandmothers, grandfathers, aunts and uncles, cousins. And like we all know from our own lives, in our extended family, we learn how um, we learn more relationship skills. We get a broader view of the world, but it's still pretty similar to our own family. Um, and we get a personal identity through interacting with our extended family. And God's intention for this extended family is to support this nuclear family. And because often they carry the same values, there's this identity, the security, and the support for nurturing of that child. And my question to you around that is, are you aware of how much you add to the children around you through being a grandparent, an aunt, or an uncle, or a cousin? And in your community, is there a value of the extended family caring for grandchild or niece or nephew? And then what would be the next circle when we look at the Bible? It is actually the local church. God's intention is that the local Christians are involved with families, extended families, and children. In a local church, the child will 
see a modeling of God's kingdom and the intentions for the child and family through their own interactions with each other. The local Christians are actually also responsible before God to care for the well-being of the family and the child in their villages, in their neighborhoods, in their cities. Christians are also asked from God to, re, to, to be responsible in advocating on behalf of the child and family to the government. My questions would be, do you see local believers or churches making the vulnerable children of the community a priority? And if so, what does that look like? In your church, or in our church, is there money, staff, and time allocated towards the care of children? And then next circle would be the village, the neighborhood, the city you're in. In this place, um, the village or the city is asked to organize itself in a way that protects the child and provides productive work and income for the family. It, through the city and through the bigger neighborhood, um, the child will be provided with a sense of history, with a sense of the regional culture, with a further, which is the further identity piece of a child. And the social sector of a city should also model working together across race, political, economical, and faith boundaries for the well-being of the smallest, the poorest, and the least powerful. How well do you think your city, our city, our neighborhood, is doing in caring for its children? The next layer, and now we're pretty far out already, is the province, the state, the national government. They are charged to protect the rights of all their citizens um, so that all citizens are received social services, that there are laws passed that protect and serve the needs of the child. They are responsible um, with maintaining a standard for education, childcare, wages, working conditions, and just help families in financial crisis. So my question around that would be, do you think the government system in place have the best interest of its children in mind? And next out, we would, there's two more coming, and I'm not going to go too closely in it because I think it more applies to uh, when you're in Africa or Asia. But what we see there is a lot in their societies, in let's say in Africa, we see often international governments involved, NGOs, multinational corporations. And again, if they would consider um, what's most important for the child, they should design and implement plans in a way that enhances the life of the citizens impacted by their presence. And then last one is the global church, like missions organizations, denominations, Christian, NGOs, um, alliances. The global church has a responsibility to organize itself and its services and whatever they offer in a way that serves God's intentions for the child in order to cooperate with the future and hope God intended for this child. So by looking at all these circles, we still see our little child in the middle, and we recognize that the government is very far away from the child. But what we do have often when the direct 
family circle failed, when there is for whatever reason not a parental unit around a child, it falls in our systems to the government to take care, to provide foster care and all these things. But is it really possible for the government to care as much as, for example, the extended family could care, or even the local church that knows that child personally? I have a quote from a child, a street child um, in the Philippines that said, they said about the government, they think every child who lives or makes a living in the streets is a bad child. I wish that our community and government would love us and guide us and not be ashamed of us. Isn't it sad that this child um, thinks that he can expect the government to love it? Because we know an institution can never really provide the personal love that a child lacks that doesn't have parents around it. There's really good news as well. I mean, when we look at um, history of like um, coming alongside vulnerable children, a lot has been, you know, being improved. We have now really, I mean, a lot of very good humanitarian work is being done. And I think we build it a lot on research that really, really serves the most vulnerable communities we're in. What we also have seen is, especially in Portland, I don't know if you're familiar with the organization Embrace Oregon, they're doing a great job in um, helping families that are um, interested in foster care to get involved with the foster care system that provide local churches to create small groups around every parent um, or family that is a foster family. So there's really, really good pieces that I think we see um, an awareness and a care from the church, from individuals, from families to come alongside the most vulnerable. As we're going into the holiday season um, and starting even our sermon series this next week around, you know, going towards the, celebrating the birth of Jesus, I want to end with um, speaking about Jesus. Jesus had actually a very vulnerable childhood. I know we like to make it very romantic looking in our pictures of Christmas, but Jesus' birthplace was an emergency shelter. The child Jesus and his parents had to run away to seek refuge in Egypt. They were refugees. They lived in fear of being recognized by the authority for years. Jesus' earthly father must have worked as an illegal migrant worker. All circumstances that left the family very vulnerable and always on the run. They, will, they returned later to their home country, but even then they never really moved back to the place they were from or really got there, you know, in a, they were always in a place that was, that they had this history piece of, having been refugees. The Bible presents Jesus as a child who had known suffering, threats, risks, and other traumatic experiences which children all over the world are experiencing today. And Jesus grew up demonstrating how resilience could work in children's life. He grew into a spiritual, emotional, intellectual, physical man who would be resilient. 
And I truly believe his resilience had a lot to do with this love, the safety he received through his parents. And in a culture that prioritized adults, Jesus was the one who often made not only shocking statements, but shocking statements around children. He rebuked his disciples for preventing the children to come to him. He was on his way to the cross, on his way to Jerusalem, and that happens in um, Matthew 19. And he had the time to say, like, no. Don't just, you know, crush over these children. There is time for them to come and to meet me. His priorities were on the children in that moment and saying, like, it is those who will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, I think that's where I want to leave it in some ways. Um, I know I didn't give you a lot of answers, and I know it is a very... I would love to just be able to put a bow on it and say, like, and then there's Jesus and all is good. But I think what my piece is, there is so much hope and so much love in who God is, and that God cares deeply and knows every child. I truly know that and believe that. But I think what I came back to over and over as I was preparing the sermon is like, God is saying to his local church, are you my hand and feet? Are you the one who is making a difference in these children that are given to you? Inside your church walls, but also outside your church walls. And there's a lot that internationally we can see being done through great organizations and great efforts. And it's maybe small ways we can help internationally children with, you know, sponsoring a child or supporting someone who, you know, does that kind of work or even being aware of them and praying for them and maybe changing our shopping habits to make sure we're not supporting child labor. But I think in even bigger ways, we can really make a difference in the children that are in our day-to-day -day lives. That might be in your family at your dining, you know, dinner table tonight. That might be in your extended family. And if you're like me and you actually don't have extended family living close, like I want your children, yourself an extended family. That's what I did. I just basically moved into a family house and been like, I want your children. So I think there are ways to like get involved in your child's and children's life. And I think it is so... I think not every one of us is easy with children, naturally. And I think you should find a way that really, like, it's your way, you know, what goes with who you are to invest in the children around you. But I think we all can do it. And even if it's like writing papers or doing advocacy work, or I think we need to acknowledge that the children are the most weakest, smallest, most vulnerable in our society. And it is up to us adults to come alongside them and to see them and to put them in the center of our communities. So I want to finish up this sermon with a prayer. I had, um, I think you all received a paper this morning of the prayer. Otherwise, it's also up on the screen. And my thought was that I would have us all stand up. And I'm going to read the prayer, and then there is the 
pieces highlighted in bold, like, Lord, hear our prayers, and that we would speak that part together. Is that okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So again, the bold, the piece in bold, the one line, let's speak that together. Lord, this morning we pray for children who are not yet orphans, but only have one parent who may be sick or dying. We pray for the health and safety of their parent. We pray for provision and protection for the children in these households. We pray for families who have members living with HIV and AIDS. We pray for the children orphaned by this disease. Lord, we ask to provide treatment, care, and support through the church. Lord, we ask for your care over child-headed households. We pray that you, Lord, will provide for their needs. We pray that an adult would come alongside them and adopt them. We ask you to protect them from abuse. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we ask you to protect children affected by war and violent conflicts. We pray that you will protect their vulnerable hearts and keep them safe. We pray that the local church will reach out to them. Lord, we ask you to release and speed supplies to refugee camps, where many orphans live in need and even the most basic necessities. We ask you to cut through any governmental regulations or corrupt leaders to get the supplies delivered to where they are needed most. Lord, we pray for street children. We pray for the children living under bushes and in dumps and sewage pipes. We ask God for you to open the church's eyes to help them see the orphans all around them. We ask you to provide food and shelter for the street children. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we pray for the fatherless in our community. We ask, them, we ask that you protect them and care for them, that you defend families in this cave. Lord, we ask you to set the lonely in families. We pray specifically for families in this community who may be in the process of adoption or foster care. We ask for your godly provision in all their needs, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Lord, we pray for government leaders in this country. We ask you to burden their hearts for the orphans. We ask that they would feel compelled to protect and provide for orphans. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we pray for caregivers and counselors, for children who have been abused. Lord, we ask that you would raise up respite care providers to support and give relief to the caregivers caring for orphans who are waiting to have families adopt them. Lord, we pray for families who are taking care for their grandchildren or niece or nephews in addition to their own children. We ask you to bless them for their sacrifice and to provide enough food, clothes, education, and shelter for all their children. Lord, we pray for mothers or fathers who have having trouble caring for their children and feel they need to give them up or abandon them. Lord, we ask you to help them find support. We ask you to meet their needs and give them the resources to be able to take care of their children. Lord, hear our prayers. <laughs> 